This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Good morning and welcome to the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm Brian Schrader, agronomist for Eastern Indiana, joined as always by my co-host, Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana. Good morning, Ben. Morning, Brian. How are you? Very good. So uh, we are coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday. I think for the most part, uh, harvest is complete at this point. I uh, made a trip south uh, this holiday season. Not a lot of corn, not a, very many soybeans at all. And so I think we can kind of really start to put a bow maybe on the 23 harvest bin. Uh, I don't know. Am I getting a good read for that in your part of the world as well? <clears throat> Yeah, I would say that harvest for the most part has been wrapped up for probably probably 10 days, maybe two weeks. Okay. Um, you know, with obviously there's some stuff that's still trickling in and see a little bit standing, but I think those are more kind of one-off personal situations, you know, that, that you run into year, year after year. So, yeah, I would say that the harvest wrapped up down here um, really, really fairly early, and we we didn't fight the moisture wall that it seemed like a lot of guys up north were fighting with keeping wet corn around longer. We, we had a little bit better luck riding it down early. Okay. So, yeah. So we probably wrapped up, wrapped up a week or two ahead of, ahead of what folks up north did, I would say this year. Okay. And, and we still do have, as you mentioned, fields around folks that don't uh, have dryer setups uh, quite adequate to deal with the wet corn, the moisture wall that you spoke about. We're certainly still dealing with some of those uh, issues and trying to get grain from the storage facility on the farm to the elevator and things like that. But I think for the most part, we can really start to maybe, as I say, put a bow on this thing. And so uh, with that in mind, Ben, certainly we could spend an entire episode about what we've learned, and I think we'll probably circle back around and do that at some point. But I thought for this morning, maybe we'd talk for just a few minutes about some of the things to consider as we start to plan for the 2024 uh, planning season. Certainly, we know that uh, in, to get your best pricing those invoices are being made as we speak uh, with a deadline coming up in December and so we know that that's the first thing but there's certainly a lot of other things that play into that and so as you sit down with growers over the next few weeks or days even and start to kind of push forward on what do we need to think about as we move to 2024 what's kind of on your short list of things that you would tell a guy to think about or consider or uh, at least be mindful of yeah, that is a that is a great question, Brian. And um, I'll try and I'll try and have some brevity. As okay, fair as enough. As we're talking about this, uh, and keep keep it separate from kind of a retrospective into the season, which I think you're right. We can we can dig into later. So, I think the big key for me um, as a focal point going forward, and it it's pretty similar to a focal point last year, is looking at the grain yields of corn and beans both that we pulled off of an acre um, really say, let's just say at least four out of the last five years and the amount of fertility we applied and i don't want to be disparaging about any of the university data but how much faith do we have in the, the tri-states grain removal numbers there's some evidence that that they might be 
they might be underestimating, especially in corn, um, particularly as yields increase. <clears throat> so, excuse me, what what I'm concerned about, and that's a rambling way to get to it, is that is as we look at soil tests over time, and ANL Labs will put out the report this winter that um, that I'll try and share on on various social media platforms. But as we as we look at soil test reports over time, potassium in particular is being drawn down, um, and even when it's not at levels that that are optimum or, or even critical in some cases. So my concern is when we think about this and building a resilient crop, um, <clears throat> we're really dry right now. Right? Our soils are our soils right. are really dry. Um, and we were dry through most of the growing season and, and everything did surprisingly well, but you have to have water to get potassium into the plant and you need more water at the lower your concentrations are. It's right. To pull more, more in. So that's that's still a thought that I'm formulating, right? This is going to be a big subject in, in winter meetings, but I think we really need to take a take a, a close look at, at how much how much mineral nutrient we have pulled off an acre, not just potassium. I, I use it as because it's an easy model element that we can see real really well, but look at what we pulled off understand uh, and, and this isn't just a one or two year thing understand the changes in soil uh, they take time right so we may see these soil tests and say oh they're pretty similar they're not changing or you know i've just been doing or, or maybe i haven't pulled a soil cynical in, in four years i think you know it is really time to revisit that um you know a lot of our a lot of the uh, Products have come down a little bit since I know I know anhydrous is creeping back up a little bit, but still it's it's more reasonable than it has been. And you know, I think that would be my comment and a theme for going into this winter, uh, especially I think since people have more bushels in their bins and what they were expecting. Um, I know markets aren't what everybody would hope they are, but if you budgeted if you budgeted less than what you're what you're going to end up having, I, I think fertility is a really good spot to to spend that this winter but let's do it smart let's take a good look at, at where things got pulled from um and how much got pulled we can estimate and and make sure we're replacing that and and keeping that keeping that base built for the future right that that's really yeah. what it's about is keeping that base built so that's a long rambling answer brian but let's let's make let's make sure our fertility's on point well, and you, that was number one on my list as well. The place that I actually started, you had mentioned uh, in your discussion and that's soil sampling. And, and the reason that I do that is that's the easy pickings to be able to get soil samples, especially if you haven't done it in three or four years for the very reason that you started your discussion out with is because what we've been budgeting for and what we've actually taken off of the field are drastically different numbers. And that even compounds itself when we start to talk about this idea of a two-year spread where i'm spreading for both a corn and a soybean cycle um i would like to see us as an industry move away from that and i recognize that there are issues around application costs and things like that but i really do believe that if we're going to continue to move toward those new yield plateaus, whatever your number of choice will be, 300 bushel corn, 100 bushel soybeans, whatever those yield plateaus are, I think that the only way we get to those plateaus uh, or new plateaus, I guess, is to make sure that we're spreading each year for each crop and we're doing that 
based on good soil test and removal data, you know, through yield monitoring. So you, you hit my number one, you know, and obviously I'm biased because I'm, uh, I spent the first several years of my career in the fertilizer business. And so I, I will readily admit to people I'm biased, but it's like anything else. If you're a bodybuilder and you want to build muscle, you are not eating protein shakes all the time. You got to have good, you know, good food. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're going to raise the very best corn, the very best soybeans, you have to have the nutrients ready to go. You've got to be able to feed that crop what it needs. And if you're starving it, you're never going to get to those numbers. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the other thing, Brian, and I'd be curious how, how much this spreads across the state. And, and this is a little bit of a retrospective, but, you know, it's it's one of these things that compounds is, Late this year, and it was mostly just in the embryos or the field edges, but I was quite frankly shocked at the number of water hemp escapes in corn, um, which usually we don't see as bad. I mean, the crop was a little bit smaller in stature, took a long, long time to get canopied as dry as we were mm-hmm. in June. Yep. You know, they gave, so the residuals broke and gave those, gave those water hemp a chance to take off, but I mean, when you've got endros that are just full of six, seven, eight foot tall water hemp throwing out hundreds of thousands, millions even of seeds, it, it gives me a little bit of pause going into the next year. And and so I, I think you know, if we're looking forward, what we can what can we do from a management standpoint? You know, that that's a tough situation from corn. It's it's kind of hard to go back in and spot spray to pick up or or, or in some cases we didn't even know. That we had the escapes until late in the year, but I think this is a situation where you really need to really need to think back about what you saw from the combine and where those areas were, and get a plan in place, whatever that might be, to to keep those controlled. I, I know, you know, you're gonna you're you're not gonna have a twenty dollar herbicide program. You know, you're not gonna be able to handle this with with just iron and a post application. You're gonna have right. to get serious about some some burn down early and some residuals to to um, to really get that prog- problem under control. But I think as things stand right now, that's that's those are the two things: the fertility and the where we got some problem weeds that I think are going to bring a lot more pressure in the coming years because of how they how they developed and how we had escapes this year. I think that those two should be the the, the priorities for me. Uh, brief discussion here, looking forward to twenty four. Yeah, well, you you're right. We did see a lot more escapes uh, up here, especially in corn. Uh, I walked a lot of cornfields though that the escapes even went beyond the end rows and the the locations that you were talking about. I did not have that on my list, but as you share that, I do think that that's probably a fair comment that can be made um, because it is going to be more and more of a problem. I've always been an advocate because we've had much more economical ways of controlling water hemp and corn to always take a big swing at it in corn with the residuals you talked about partially because I don't want to have to deal with that but the other side of that is is I'm also helping with my following bean crop in rotation uh, because I've taken out a whole bunch of that stuff and so that's certainly one of the reasons to do that Uh, again not I had not had that on my list but I think that that um, is a really good point to make um my second item 
actually was related to crop health and some of the things that are going on there uh, as i have started to kind of dig into the data from 2023 uh, i am seeing what i believe to be a correlation in my geography and i'll only speak for my geography for the folks that did apply a fungicide fullerly uh, in their crop uh, now that we can talk about you know the disease implications and things like that but i guess what i will say here briefly is that I think with so many options that we have now that relate somewhat to crop health, uh, whether that's the fungicides that we've traditionally talked about, the new biologicals that are coming on the market, I think that each grower needs to evaluate both what they've done and whether they feel like they're making money for that, but also some of the new products that are being offered, both from Corteva and others in the biological space. You need to get your hands around that on your own farm you'll simply go batty trying to make sense of it for the entire industry be and we i'm sure this winter we will revisit this topic as well but what i want folks to think about is make sure that uh, you're doing some due diligence as you plan your 2024 crop to make sure that you've got an understanding of what folks are advocating to you about what makes sense for your farm and to make sure that you go into 2024 with a plan on both your anything having to do with crop health i think is how i'll put that and so that was actually the second thing on my list ben i'd be curious your thoughts about that particular space as well yeah so obviously obviously it's a hot subject we get a ton of questions um it really seemed to, I mean, it, it's been a trickle for a long time. It really seemed to blow up last winter. Sure. The, the landscape is complicated. There's a lot out there. <laughs> I, unlike probably some agronomists, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm excited about biologicals and their potential. I think, I think it's an exciting space. Um, it needs a lot of research. And it, it, to, to really understand it. But the thing that I keep going back to, Brian, is that you can't build a house without a foundation. Right? Yep. And so I, there, there is definitely a place for them. And we are figuring that out as, as time goes on. But you can't neglect, you can't treat them like a silver bullet, right? Right. It, it, it's not, it's not going to fix, um, you know, a pH of four and a half or potassium right. levels. Potassium levels at 35, which I encountered both of them this year, right? The, the, bio, <laughs> the biologicals aren't going to fix that. Now, um, there's probably some opportunity to help with that. I think that we see the, you see a response to things like that in the extremes. So you're really high yield levels and you're in your really low environments. Um, but when you're getting them on the farm, I one, if you're in my area, I, I really do enjoy this stuff. And I really do enjoy trialing, right? And and I am I am curious about it. So if you need help setting up a trial to truly understand what they're doing, please reach out. But along those lines, strip things out, right? If you're going to try a product, we need to be weigh weigh it side by side. Whatever your whatever your data visualization or your, your pretty maps is not adequate to making a decision, especially if you're only looking for a couple bushels. Um, it's just it's just not accurate enough. So actually, actually take the time to weigh some strips, 
of these products and, and understand what the difference is in the field. And, you know, if there wasn't a difference, that doesn't necessarily mean that it, that it wouldn't work in a different year. You know, that's where we really need the, the effort is to understand what they're supposed to be doing and how the environment in a given year may have impacted the, their ability to do that or the plant's ability to respond to it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting call out, Brian. I, I, I know it's going to come up. Um, but like I said, my my comment is let's let's make sure that we have let's make sure that we have the foundation there first, which yeah. you know was point number one for you as well, right? Yeah, right. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. you hit on an important part of this discussion as well. And I I didn't call it out specifically, but this idea of making sure that you understand how these products respond on your farm specifically. And that's the only way to do that is to do these trials that you mentioned. And we can have an episode in the future to talk more about how you set up on farm strip trials and so that they make sense for your operation. Uh, We can certainly do that and revisit that. But again, I would uh, echo what Ben shared with all of you. If you have some interest in understanding how to do uh, trials or strips on your farm and really get good data, reach out to any of your pioneer agronomists or really any of the agronomists that you work for. I mean, that's how we analyze products. That's how we take a look at them, try to get better, whether that's the corn and soybean hybrid and varieties that we sell or it's crop protection products that we're involved with because of our connection to the Corteva crop protection folks is to just be able to try to strip those, weigh those and understand. Don't go full bore without knowing what you're spending your money on and trials are the best way to understand that. So, all right. Well, with that, Ben, I think we've covered a, you know, pretty good amount of ground here uh, this morning, at least for folks to consider as they're moving into 2024. And so with that, uh, if somebody does want to reach out to you with one of those trials or something like that, how can they get a hold of you? Yep. You can find me on various social media platforms on X, formerly known as Twitter, at the Ben Jacob, or less frequently, but still on Facebook, at Ben Jacob Agronomy. How about you, Mr. Schrader? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, B underscore K underscore Schrader. And so with that, we'll call it an episode. We thank you for joining us for uh, this episode uh, following Thanksgiving uh, for the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.